What's going on, citizens of Creep City? My name is Matt Shacha, and I'm coming at you over the airwaves of the internet. Once again, this is Radio for the Creeps. Before I get into the subject of the night, I just wanted to note a few things that I thought were pretty cool. Um, Waxwork Records, uh, they're running a big sale right now, so you can grab a bunch of their records on discount, which I already made the most of, and there's, you know, there's a, a decent amount of... Uh, Records still available with, with some pretty decent sales going, so you should definitely check them out at waxwork.com. Aside from that, one other thing that I thought was pretty notable from the world of horror this this week, uh, today the folks from Universal and Blumhouse, they did a watch party of Halloween 2018. They had uh, David Gordon Green, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jason Bloom, a whole bunch of folks from the, the cast and crew of Halloween 2018 hanging out to do this watch party. Um, basically, what they did was everybody kind of queued up the movie and watched at the same time, and then they discussed on Twitter. Um, I think this kind of thing is pretty neat, given the, the quarantine times we're in, and I think that, honestly, there's a lot more that companies can be doing during this quarantine. And, and I know I say that, that sounds shitty. Let me not, let me start over. A lot more that they can be doing sounds shitty of me, but there are some things that the gaming industry... Um, you know, the gaming side of me recognizes our, our tools that are viable for us during quarantine. Now, on the gaming side, a lot of the time, it's the content creators who are making the most out of it, and they're doing a great job with that. But I think companies like Blumhouse and stuff can get more involved with Twitch uh, or Mixer, you know, whichever it may be. And, um, you know, the the watch party system that's going on now on Twitch is pretty important. You can do things with Discord. And there's all these tools. Like, the gaming industry is more used to having to bring things into people's homes, I think, than the film industry. And I think that there's a lot of notes they could take. Uh, recently, Fangoria did a watch party over on Facebook. And it was a live face a Facebook live feed of films short films back to back to back on their Facebook page and it worked really well don't get me wrong I had a great time I tuned in uh Gunn was uh sponsoring it in a way by giving out some codes and things and, and it was a lot of fun I had a good time but I think that Twitch and the watch party system on Twitch and you know um, the, the, uh, viewing the screen sharing rather system on discord. I think there's a lot of opportunity there that the game industry is kind of like, yeah, like we take for granted, like, yeah, we have these things and the film industry hasn't quite caught up to yet. So I'm always keeping an eye out for, for people in film that are doing something new and interesting. And I think that Blumhouse and Fangoria and places like that, they're trying, um, another one that I noted recently was shutter has the shutter TV situation where you can watch, um, uh, the last drive-in, for instance, live, essentially live, it's pre-recorded, but, you know, on the Shutter TV app when it premieres. Now, there's all kinds of cool things they can do there. They can run all kinds of stuff in that space. If it's, if it's a stream to the app, there's a lot they could do with that. And I think that we're starting to see the film industry kind of catch up to these in-home entertainment, you know, avenues, but... I think the game industry is just so much more used to it. Maybe we're all a bunch of weird video game recluses or something, and, and that's why we have to be used to the idea of, oh, you know, we, we do things at home, and we have to get it into their homes so they don't leave the couch, or whatever the case may be. But we take them somewhat for granted, and I think the film industry is catching up, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, there's definitely a lot of people doing a lot of cool things, but uh, they could do more, and I think that there's room there for this to expand. 
little bit of a silver lining coming out of quarantine is is how um you know vod and, and streaming services are working with you know the film industry is working with vod and, and streaming services to do cool things like this and and i hope that this lives beyond covid19 now aside from that that is kind of the the latest in the world of horror now it, it's kind of interesting to me because that's a that last topic that i just quickly briefly touched on about the video game industry and the film industry it kind of plays into what i'm going to go into next and um a little bit about me first i'm a community developer and um, what that means for the you know people in the video game who are familiar with the video game industry understand that term but people who aren't listeners who maybe have stumbled here because of horror or something else maybe they don't really get what the, what i mean by that and and a community developer is basically they're the ward of the community for a video game so like there's there's a lot of more you know there's a lot of different responsibilities involved with being a community developer or a community person in general basically you know yes you handle the social media accounts you handle the forums you interface with the players there's a lot of you know public relations type thing you know responsibilities with this role but a community developer is responsible for building a community around the games that we represent. And because of that, there's a lot of conversational type of skills that are required. And what I mean by conversational skills is we have to interface with the community on social media. We have to interface with them in the forums. We have to settle disputes and be the, you know, be the, the wards of the brand for the games that we represent. And I think that that gives me a certain kind of understanding of how these conversational topics work sometimes. And the one, the, the next topic that I'm going to talk about is very conversational, but there's also some hard facts in it. So I don't want to reduce anything to, oh, it's just a misunderstanding of conversation because it's more than that. But I want to talk about some of the recent um, situations in the horror community that have made a significant portion of the horror community feel alienated or feel excluded or feel unwelcome. And, um, you know, the most recent of which is some things that have come up about Joe Bob Briggs, you know, of Joe Bob of the last drive-in and, um, you know, some of the things that he said that were a bit more insensitive. And now, first of all, I want to note that I'm not going to get into, you know, I'm not going to get into a bickering match. I'm not going to get into a smear campaign either. I'm not here to try and, and, um, you know, be a, a, a hero for the cause of canceling anyone. That's not my business. That's not my place. That's not something that I'm interested in doing. It's not the way I, I operate. It's not the way I think. Um, I would never suggest that somebody just be written off unless they were really like pure trash. And there are, there are pure trash people in the world. But again, you know, I, I, I'm a benefit of the doubt kind of person. And um, so, no, I'm not here to just uh, dogpile on somebody and just call for them to be fired. I don't think that that's the way that these conversations work best anyhow. And I don't think that anybody really who is upset or hurt by it is looking for that either. But the impression I'm getting from what I can see, read, hear, understand is that it's more a matter of understanding and growth than anything. And I think that that's, um, you know, important to note because number one, it means that the people who are kind of um, upset about the situation or, or feeling, you know, excluded or, or removed or, or, um, cast aside because of these comments and things. I think it, it really says something about the integrity of their character that it, they're not just headhunting there. They just want understanding. And, and that's something that causes a lot of sympathy and empathy with me. I, you know, I, I don't 
I can't picture a horror community. Uh, the fact that we all throw that around so much, the horror community. And again, being somebody who works in, in community, quite literally, it's in my job title. I can't imagine a situation where anyone can be okay with anyone feeling excluded from it, particularly with horror. I'm going to clarify here. Now, again, because I'm not here to headhunt, I'm not digging up articles and um, dredging out things to, to note as evidence of A or B or C or anything like that. That's not really what I'm trying to do. What I'm mainly going to talk about with this episode of Radio for the Creeps is the, the concept of horror as a community and what we should be doing when somebody comes to us as the horror community and says, hey, I don't feel welcome here. Or, you know, or, or hey, I feel like I, I don't belong, or I feel like I'm being laughed at, or I'm being mocked, or I'm being edged out, any of that. Anytime a community makes another person feel unwelcome, that's, that's the antithesis of what that community should be trying to do. Unless, of course, you're talking about somebody who, you know, I mean, if we suddenly had a bunch of like, you know, 40-something-year-old Karens who showed up and they were like, we really love rom-coms, Joe Bob, why don't you cover rom-coms? That would be a different story, right? But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who have this shared interest and why are we barring them? Why are we playing gatekeeper when they want to be a part of this community too? Now, again, this is working off the assumption that we really are an actual community. Now, if there is any horror community to speak of, I feel that there is. If there is any real horror community to speak of, though, why would we ever want to be excluding other horror fans um, or, or making jokes or comments or anything that's going to make other horror fans feel excluded? That doesn't seem, that's, that seems counter to the idea of developing a decent community around horror, doesn't it? Now, there, there's a lot more to this, and it's, you know, you can go back to articles that he wrote or, um, you know, past comments and things like that. There's a ton of different angles to this. I'm sticking with the idea that, number one, I'm a firm believer that feelings are never wrong. If you're, if, if someone comes to you and says, hey, you're making me feel this way, it's not up to you as the, um, the, uh, the driving force of that feeling to say, well, that feeling is wrong. It's not up to you to decide that the person shouldn't feel that way. Um, and, and it's similar to the concept of, you know, the oppressed, the oppressor can't say that the oppressed should not be upset about it. You know, the, the, um, the insulter should not be able to say that the insulted should not feel insulted. That's not how feelings work. Now, you can say, hey, I didn't mean that or, or you know, whatever, but it, it's, it's not up to you as the person who's creating the action to determine what the reaction should be. That's up to the other person. So that right there, in my opinion, means that we're not going to, we're not going to squabble over whether or not they should be upset or this. I don't want to humor or even hear the whole snowflake argument. I'm so, I'm so fucking tired of it to be completely blunt and honest. I'm so tired of hearing someone say, Hey, that's, that upset me. And having someone else go, Oh, you need to like, you know, grow a thicker skin. It's not about thicker skin. All right. It's about understanding how things make you feel and being in, in touch with yourself and understanding yourself enough to know when you need to stand up for yourself. Um, the whole idea of you can't take a joke or you can't, no, that's bullshit. Don't even, don't even want to hear it. Um, so again, you know, it, when someone comes to you and says, hey, you're making me feel this way. Hey, you're making me feel excluded. Hey, you're making me feel like I'm not a part of that club, right? 
you you have two options. You can either a do something about it. You can try and change the, the situation to make the person feel more welcome, or you can stand by the thing you said, right? This is going to come up again, and it's it's very important to the the central point I'm trying to make with this episode. You can either say, "Hey, you know that wasn't my intention to make you feel that way. I want you in our club. You know, come on in, and uh, we're going to modify things a bit so we don't make you feel excluded again." Or you say. No, no, thanks. You don't belong here. Now, I, I know, listen, I don't think anybody's trying to say, hey, you don't belong here, but that's the impression that's being given. And that's, in, in my, my humble opinion, not okay for any community to function that way. For any community to say, this is how you're feeling, and um, yeah, fuck it, we're not going to change anything to, to, to make that situation any different for you is... That's, that's not a, a mindset of building a, a healthy, thriving community around a shared common interest. And in this case, it's horror. Now, of course, there's more to that, but that's me trying to reduce this uh, to the bare bones of the conversation. Now, as much as I know I, I rolled off on a bit of a tangent there, the basic point here is the same. Um, there's a group of people who feel like they are not welcome in our community. And now that's as a member of said community, that's not anything I want a part of. So what do we do? How do we, where do we go from here? Um, the, the correct answer is we modify our language and we modify what we see as uh, acceptable. We modify our behavior, our humor, all of these things so that we make sure that we're being as inclusive as we can because ultimately horror is everyone's, right? Um, you know, growing up, I grew up a um, kind of a geek and got picked on. I got into punk rock and horror around the same time. I have a whole spiel on punk rock and horror that I'll I'll get into some other time. Basically, the two felt like they went hand in hand for me because the um the feeling of at being outcasted by friends and 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 people who I grew up with, you know, I was close with growing up who then outcasted me at a certain point. Um those feelings uh, they, they related well to punk rock. They also related well to horror. And it was something that I, um, my, my interest in punk rock and my interest in horror both made that feeling of alienation actually stronger because there were a lot of people who were like, why do you listen to the weird music? And why do you watch the weird films? You know, whatever. Um, so for me being into horror, I always felt a little bit of a misfit and, um, my upbringing, my, my like uh, formative years, I'll say, were spent around this mentality of, well, if you're treating me like a misfit, then I'm going to embrace the misfit in me and be as misfit as I can. And, and, and so I grew up, you know, spiking my hair and watching gory horror flicks, right? Um, it was something that I always loved about horror, too, was that it was similar to punk. A lot of punk rockers can be elitist and, and, and kind of jerks, to be completely honest, but there's a lot of them that are, aren't, and they're very understanding people, and they welcome you in, and it was the same thing with horror, you could go to the video store and run into somebody in the horror aisle, and start chatting about your favorite horror movies, or your favorite kills, or your favorite bloody scenes, or special effects artists, or whatever the case, and, and, and find that communal kind of, you know, feeling, that, that like, um, uh, brotherly camaraderie kind of feeling with this random stranger in the horror movie aisle staring at VHS covers. I always loved that. Um, I loved the kind of upstart nature of horror where magazines like Fangoria were putting gore and things like that in their magazine and, and putting it in the forefront there. And, and they're, you know, kind of the rebellious uh, type. And, and I always loved that. I felt like I belonged with horror and I felt like horror was welcoming to me as a misfit. And um, 
I, I, that's something that aside from the movies and aside from my interest in all of it, and, and, um, the, the fact that horror always felt like home to me was something that I, I, I will never forget and I'll, I'll always cherish. And it's something that a lot of people right now are saying that they no longer have. And, and that's upsetting. So you see where I'm, I'm going, where I'm drawing that line. Um, horror always being a home for me, the misfit, the weirdo, the outcast. Why would anyone feel like they, you know what I mean? If it was a home for someone who had no other home, then why would someone feel like they weren't welcome there? And what can we do to change that? Because that's not okay, right? That's like where my mind immediately goes. You know, um, this is a thing that I found comfort in. It was a, a bit of a life preserver for me. Uh, I want to share that life preserver with others. I don't want to hoard it for myself. And I think that that's, you know, vital to the the argument about um, being, you know, elitist and like, you know, hipster about it or, or being welcoming and communal. And I think that elitist hipster nonsense of the Zohar thing, you, you noob, you poser, you this, you that, all that other language in these communities like video games or music or movies, all of that elitist language is designed to build walls around your fandom as opposed to opening doors. I'm a firm believer that we need, uh, you know, fewer gatekeepers and more welcome wagons. We need more people that are interested in horror to feel comfortable saying, I really dig this horror stuff, man. And, and you know, well, come on into the fold and hang out. Like, here's a Fangoria and a Shutter sub. Let's talk. You know, um, I think that that, especially given something that I've noted a couple of times in different casts and things is the DIY nature of horror. Because, you, you know, when you welcome that person in, like, I, you know, Right there, I make the joke, you know, here's a Fangoria and a Shutter Sub, let's get going. You don't know that, that DIY nature of, man, I really love this stuff. I'm, I'm going to work on my own horror script or my own horror movie or my own horror podcast or video game or whatever the hell. That welcoming nature, that sense of community, that's one of the things that I love about this burgeoning, fledgling horror community that we have. So then when I see someone say, I just don't feel welcome because of this, that, or the other. That's really upsetting. Being a member of this this new wave of, you know, horror is making a real return right now. Uh, when I was a kid, it was like, again, it was that kind of weirdo thing, kind of like, you know, how some music and things like that goes through those, those periods where there's a period of, uh, you know, it being the weird outcasted thing, and then it gets a little more to the forefront, and then you have this awkward growing phase where everybody wants in, and it's like, well, you know, we have the elitists over here and we have the welcomers over there and we have all the new people coming in who, you know, they're eager to learn more about it. You know, those growing pains that it goes through, um, that I, I'm a proponent of that. I'm a proponent of the open door horror community. I want everybody in. I want everybody to feel comfortable. You know, I, I don't see any situation where we need to close the doors. I think that's an absurd way to approach any fandom. And while no one is saying we're closing the doors, they're doing things that are closing the doors. And when called on it, it gets really muddy and icky, to be completely honest. Now, you may not sit there and say, get out, you know, so-and-so, get out this, that, the other. But when someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, I don't really feel welcome here, and your reaction is hostility, anger, um, being defensive, combative, um, and aggressive, that's 
certainly not making the case for inclusive inclusiveness and welcoming kind of spirits. Um, it's not, it's not communal and that's a problem. If we're going to call this a horror community, that's a huge problem. Now I'm going to take a little sidebar here and mention something as much as Joe Bob Briggs and the last drive-in was kind of the catalyst to start this conversation. I'm intentionally being nonspecific because again, I'm not here to, to dog pile on and say, that's it, grab the pitchforks, let's go get them. I'm here to talk about the bigger problem. And I feel that that bigger problem is that when someone identifies a situation, when someone identifies something that they feel is not right, something that they feel is wrong, something that makes them feel excluded, something that makes them feel uh, mocked, the reaction to that is what's more important. Um, how we react to that and, and that entire transaction, that entire transaction of, hey, this is, you made me feel this way. And what we do with that information and how we handle that information is what's more important than any of this, really. Because let's, let's be honest, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I know Joe Bob's not going to listen to my podcast and go, hey, he's really on to something. Um, I'm here more to, t and, and I'm also not here to tell you don't watch Last Drive-In because that's not, you know, that's not me at all. I'm, I'm not also not here, you know, to say, you know, how things should go from here on out for anyone specifically like Joe Bob or Last Drive-In or Shudder or Fangoria or any of these, none of this. That's not my game here. Um, I want to talk about the situation from the top view. I want to talk about the situation from a much different perspective, the perspective of here's the problem. Whether it's the, the, the specifics are Joe Bob said something that um, was offensive toward the LGBTQIA community that made them feel excluded or, you know, some other happening down the line a year from now that has the same parameters. Here's the problem. Something was said and done. Someone in high regard um, is responsible for creating a feeling amongst horror fans. That's making them feel excluded from our little club. And how do we handle that? Where do we go from here? What's, what's the response? What, like, how do we deal with this? What do we do in order to not see this happen? So again, yes, there's a catalyst for this conversation. I'm not, you know, that is the catalyst. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there's more to this topic than just these specifics right now. Um, and that's important to recognize. And I think that that's really where the, the heart of the matter is. BJ Colangelo, um, is a horror writer, um, a horror writer, horror filmmaker as well. Um, BJ put it really well on, on social recently and said, white people don't get to say something isn't racist. Straight people don't get to say something isn't homophobic. Cis people do not get to say something isn't transphobic. Men don't get to say something isn't sexist, and oppressors don't get to say something isn't oppressive. That is kind of a core part of my, my, my point here. Um, when someone comes to you and says, this made me feel this way. Now, again, I, I say often feelings are never wrong. Um, for the person who initiated that re reaction in the, in the other individual, you don't get to say, well, that's not the case. That's not, you know, you don't, you don't, you shouldn't feel that way. That's, and, and nobody wants to hear, well, that's not how I meant it. Or, you know, uh, that was just a joke or, you know, 
the answer is in what you do from there on out. Um, if you say something, if you make a joke, let's use this hypothetical. You make a joke and somebody says, hey man, that shit ain't funny. That, that's insulting. And you go, ah, fuck you, lighten up, man. There's a part of you that is standing behind that joke. Whatever you said, whatever, you know. It's not purely humor to you. There's a point in there that you wanted to make. If someone says to you, hey, that joke was uh, insulting, I'm insulted. And you go, oh man, I'm sorry. It's just that easy, right? Now, I don't know any joke that is so monumentally worth it where I would want to upset someone else. I don't know any joke I could make, uh, you know, where if it upset someone, I could be like, I stand by that joke. You know, like, what, what are these jokes that we're making? Are we hiding the true, our true feelings in, in humor? Is, is that the case? Because if that's the case, then we can own that and say that, right? If you're disguising your true feelings behind humor, own it and, and say it. And that's fine. Wear that hat. And then people who are insulted by it or who don't agree with it or feel some kind of a way about it can disassociate from you. And that's fine, right? Because, you know, if they're going to get insulted by something that you truly feel, you know, um, that I feel Return of the Living Dead is the greatest horror movie ever made. If you don't agree with me, I'm not going to say, sorry, I'm going to change my mind on it. So we can just not be friends if that is going to come between us. But I still feel that Return of the Living Dead is the greatest horror movie of all time, right? That's a hill I'll die on, as they say. I'm trying to keep it light, guys. So please don't get upset with me that I mixed in a little Return of the Living Dead humor, okay? Um, when, it, when you say something that upsets someone else, you're, you have an option there. When someone comes to you and says, you've insulted me, you've upset me, you don't always have to trigger your defense mechanism. That doesn't mean you're a terrible fucking person and you should go die. You upset somebody. Just dial it back and move on from there and grow. When you own it, you own the mistake. You can also own the statement. But those are two very different things. And we're going to dive a little bit into that now because you can own either side of this argument. And, uh, you know, they're two very different paths. One is certainly more inclusive than the other. And we're going to cover that now. So that effectively brings us to where we are right now. A thing, thing was said. thing was done. Situation was created. The response to it has been made clear. Um, people are hurt and people feel excluded from our little club. Moving forward, there's two things we can do. We can own the um, uh, we can own the unintended um, insult. And again, I'm I'm making huge leaps in benefit of the doubt here. Okay, so if we are to believe that we are not excluding um, others from this group. Right? Because, you know, that's the big defense. Oh, come on, we're not excluding you. Okay, if you're not excluding others from this group, then you can own the unintended result. And you can say, my apologies. I'm going to make sure that I do everything I can to not exclude you again in the future. But you're welcome here and we want you to be a part of our community. You can own that, which is, you know, requires a, a strong back. You're putting it on your shoulders and you're just quietly taking it. There's no need for defense. There's no need for defensive mechanisms, any of that. Or the other side is you can own the statement you made. You can say, that's how I feel. And if it upset you, then I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. And then those people know, hey, well, uh, 
I'm not going to mess with that guy no more. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that person anymore. I don't want any, I don't want any part of anything they're involved in, which is also fine. Right? Anyone insulted by something you do can say, I'm not going to participate in the things that you're involved with anymore. Right? Or you can welcome them in. Now, what sounds more like a community to you? Because I know what I want. I know what I want to see. I want to see the, the communities that I, you know, choose to be a part of being as welcoming as possible to everyone. So let's dial that back, uh, you know, especially if we're going off of the benefit of the doubt. The big story is, oh, well, that wasn't how it was meant. That's, it's a shtick or it's satire. We're going to cover the, the shtick portion and the satire portion in a minute because I think that those are very specific things that we could talk about. But, okay, so you're, you're implying that it's unintended, it was a joke, and that joke upset somebody. Rather than putting it on the person who is upset to deal with it, and by saying things like, well, you need to have a thicker skin or you need to learn to take a joke or any of that, you can just throw it on your own shoulders and say, I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't want to make other people feel shitty, right? I mean, that, I, I just, to me, that seems like the, the clear uh, 100% proper response, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but anyhow. So you can just own that side of it, put it on your own shoulders and say, I'm not going to do that thing anymore. Or you can stand by what you said, but that also means it's not a joke anymore. That also means it's not satire anymore. And it also means it's not a shtick anymore. If you're going to stand by what you said and you're, gonna, you're not going to double back on that and you're not going to take that back and you're not going to do anything in the future to change that, then what you're effectively doing is saying, nope, that's how I feel. Which by the very definition is not a shtick. It's not sat- satire. It's not um, a joke. That's genuine then. Because that's a hill you're willing to die on, right? That's a hill that you're willing to, to die on in the respect that you're willing to cut other people off from you because of that comment, that point, that central theme, that core thought, whatever it might be. You're willing to, to make that be the dividing line between you and others. And that's okay with you. That's your answer right there. Now, saying, oh, it's a shtick or it's satire or this, that, the other. Okay, well... You, you can always adjust for the audience. And this is where it starts to get tricky because this is where I'm going to make some, a little bit more bold of a statement than I have throughout the entire recording here. Satire and the shtick and the joke and all of that can modify for the audience. And who's the audience in this case? Everybody who loves horror. I don't care. I don't care their orientation, gender, any of that. You love horror, so do I. Let's hang out. That's the core audience. Modify the shtick and the satire for the core audience. And that's the people who love horror. We're all in this together. We're all a part of the same community. That's the communal mindset. That's the welcoming mindset. The flip side of that coin is, cast those people aside. That's not the welcoming mindset. That's not a communal mindset. That's not, that's not anything I want any part of. And people will throw comments around like, this is the death of satire. It's not. It's really not, and I can explain it pretty quickly. It's not the death of satire. Not the death of true satire. It's the death of false satire. It's the death of satire as a shield. It's the death of satire as a mask. It's the death of being shitty, or having a shitty opinion, or saying a shitty thing, and using satire as your, your catch-all defense, like, you know, your, your um, 
get out of jail free card for the shitty thing you said or did. That can die. I'm okay with the death of that type of satire because that's not actually satire. And, you know, there's, there's been a million great examples. Um, the Colbert Report being one that came to my mind immediately and then I'm, I'm seeing that across all of social people are bringing that up. And you know what the key difference there is? <laughs> Stephen Colbert did however many seasons of the Colbert Report and you didn't have, you know, um, you didn't have super right-wing, ultra-conservative Republicans sitting around watching it going, yeah, get him, Stephen, because it was true satire. You had people there who were in on the joke and got it. This is not the same, okay? You can't throw satire up as your catch-all defense to these things. That, that type of, that use of the word satire, that, yeah, it's definitely the death of that because people aren't taking that shit anymore. I'm, you know, I'm sorry to be so blunt about it, but it is the death of satire as a, a false shield, a false defense against shitty things. And that's because people are standing up for themselves. And that's good. That's how, the, that's how this should be. We're talking about people who have gone way too long feeling like they're not recognized as people because of their orientation or preference. Why do you think each one of those letters means so much to them? It means so much to them because they spend a very long time not having any way to be represented, not having any representation, not, ha- not being seen as an equal or a human being. So, of course, those letters matter. Come on now. And, and as fans of fringe things, we should understand that feeling. I, I, I like to think we do uh, as a whole. The majority does. But in moments like this, our reaction to this situation is very telling. Don't throw satire around either as your defense because, again, as I've said, true satire, everyone's in on the joke. We all get it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, the other thing is shtick. Yeah, okay, this, that's a shtick. I get it. That's a shtick. But, um, you know, that can evolve. That can change with time. Um, it's, it's not carved in stone. This isn't, you know, there's not a contract uh, that, you know, the shtick remains the same. You can tune that. Personally, I mean, if we're getting more specific and we're going back to talking about Joe Bob, I watch him for his encyclopedic knowledge of movies, right? I watch him for his years and years and years of being involved in this industry and all of those cool little anecdotes he has about the people who have starred in or helped make these movies, all the behind the scenes things that he knows about these movies, all the history, the sheer amount of like dates and information he can keep in that noodle of his. That's what I watch him for. I don't want to, I don't want to hear his political point of view. That's not, I'm not tuned in for that. It's a horror show. We're all there to hear about the, the, the film. We're all there to hear the story, the little backstory of that time he hung out with Jim Wynorski or whatever the hell he's talking about. Cool, that's what we're here to hear. You can edit that shtick. You can refine that shtick and update it for 2020. I mean, hell, you're, you're still on television in 2020. So, I mean, the act can change. The, the script can be rewritten. This is all working off the benefit of the doubt that that's not actually how he feels. It's just a part of the shtick. The shtick can change then, right? Because that's not actually how you feel. Just as if it's satire, you can modify the joke. 
so that you're not upsetting people. You can modify the joke so that you're not leaving any casualties in your wake when you make said jokes. Now, the other side of the coin, again, obviously, is maybe it's not a joke. Maybe it's not a shtick. That is not for me to decide. That's not something that I'm here to... Again, like I said, I, that's, I'm not going to go out on a limb and make an accusation like that. I'm going to work off the assumption that it is a shtick and it is satire. So let's make sure we tune it up so we're not leaving casualties of horror fans in, in the wake of this, you know, each episode, each article, each comment. That to me makes a hell of a lot more sense than saying, protect the satire, protect the shtick. And again, you know, the darker option is, that's just how he feels. And as I said earlier... There's two ways to own this situation. Own it and modify or own it and stand behind it and then other people can distance from you. And again, I'm not saying that that's what should be done. I'm saying that that's then up to us. And the defense, these mobs of people that come out of the woodwork to say, oh, you just don't get the joke. It's, you don't need to speak for anyone else. And this brings me up to probably my last point on the topic. And this is a very... Kind of a cutting one. So now let's get off of Joe Bob Briggs for a second. Let's talk about John Bloom. John Bloom, that's Joe Bob Briggs' real name. But going off the benefit benefit of the doubt that this is just the, the character has gone astray on him. Let's talk about John Bloom, the actual man, uh, not the alter ego Joe Bob Briggs. John Bloom's not dumb. John Bloom has to recognize... If this is, again, satire and just a character, he has to recognize that there is a significant amount of people who are rallying behind this so-called satire and, and character, and they're subscribing to the things that he says. Um, you can't be that oblivious to the fact that there are people in that audience now who are like, yeah, all them letters in the abbreviation, what is that bullshit about? That You can't be oblivious to that. You have to know that people are now empowered by that. And this is very important to bring up. I know it sounds like, oh, you know, now you're hammering on them. No, this is super important to bring up in a time where we've seen people with ideas and comments that seem like, whoa, that's crazy, you know, and, and everybody kind of stands back and goes, let the crazy guy rant about that um, until all of a sudden, as we're all discrediting this crazy rant, it's building steam and followers and, and people are rallying behind it and they're empowered by it now. And there's this mob of people who are subscribing to that crazy thing that we thought would just go away. I know you all know what I'm talking about. We're, we're living in a time where outlandish and somewhat preposterous and, you know, really like ridiculous things are, are pulling people out of the woodwork and making them go, yeah, right on. And, you know, when it's one, two, 20, 20,000, whatever, you start out going, that's, that's ridiculous. And you just kind of ignore it and turn away, or you have a chuckle to yourself and move on about your life. Then they build up steam. And now all of a sudden there's this juggernaut of a problem bearing down your door. John Bloom has to recognize that there are people in that audience that are going, yeah, fuck them. Or yeah, they, that's right. Yeah, Joe Bob, he tells it like it is, and they're rallying behind this this supposed satire and character. That is that what you want? That's the question I would ask. Is that what you want? Is that is that you know, because while we're all here, you know, kind of fighting with this situation, going, well, 
do you call it out? Don't you call it out? Do you just try to take it as a joke? Do you just ignore it? Do you, you know, do you not touch it with a 10 foot pole because of the, the, you know, not wanting to have to, to draw the, the ire of the, the angry mob, you know, like while we're all doing that and we're kind of quiet on it, it's building up steam in the background. Thank God for the people who are saying something about it. And it's thank God for the people who are sticking up for themselves because that's the only thing chipping away at this, this dangerous festering thing. So we can't all just turn a blind eye to it because there are folks in that, that audience that are then finding that their rallying cry. And do we want that? Is that what we want? So, so again, we want to close the doors to certain folks while keeping inside all these folks who are maybe not getting the joke either, but they're not getting the joke in a different way. You want to say that we're not getting the joke because we're upset by it? Some of your audience is also not getting the joke, but they're not getting the joke as in they're rallying around it and they're becoming the angry mob. And this brings me to the cutting aspect of this point. The silence becomes telling. If this is a shtick and if this is satire, then the person at the helm of this, seeing these folks rally around him and and take the pitchforks out on Twitter and attack people, that silence is telling. And I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't imagine a scenario where this isn't your true feelings. This is just a character you've made for the laughs. Um, and then you're seeing these people go attack others on social media and, and so forth uh, about it. And you don't go, hey, guys, pump the brakes. You're, you're misunderstanding this. I mean, that, that seems pretty far-fetched for me. So maybe it's time to not be silent about it. And that's my two cents on that. Sam Weinman actually um, raised a really excellent point on socials tonight. Uh, Sam Weinman, for those of you who don't know, he's a horror filmmaker. He's actually directing the um, upcoming Shudder queer horror documentary. And he's also a part of the Queer Wolf podcast, I want to say. So he he brought up a wonderful point on social about how... um, the queer community is is embedded in horror its roots are in horror and he included some very specific imagery with his posts you know including like hellraiser and things like that um and i think the the parallel he drew about you know how queer folks want to be at the table but they don't want to be kicked out before the main course and the truth of the matter is it's really their house they've been there all along i think that's super telling and I think that the most heartbreaking part of this is these aren't new horror fans, guys. They're lifelong horror fans like us. They're lifelong horror fans like us that have contributed to everything that horror is. They have made films, literature, uh, video games, whatever the case may be. They're a part of horror, not the horror community. Even putting that aside, they're a part of horror the thing. They've just always lived this existence of being quieter than they are right now about themselves, about their, their uh, preferences, orientations, all of that. They've lived kind of in this horror community, being underrepresented, being quieter than they ever should have been or needed to be because of comments like this. 
And the big difference between all of these years that they've been here this whole time and now is now they, 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 they're empowered to stand up and say something about it. And this is a vital time for us as a horror community, as a community in general, as a, a subgenre of everything, as a lifestyle for Christ's sake. This is a very vital time because this is the moment where they're, this is not just this one case, again, much bigger picture here. This is the time where they're empowered enough to stand up and say, hey, that's, uh, that's not okay. They're not shying away into the corners of horror like they have for years and years and years already. They're, they're taking a stand for themselves. And our reaction, what we do going forward as a community, as the people who are free, I mean, I, you know, I'm free to just exist in the horror community without, you know, someone making a comment that attacks my very being. Um, it's on us now to react accordingly and to um, set the tone for how we're going to move forward. Are we going to move forward embracing exclusive exclusivity or are we going to move forward by promoting inclusiveness and promoting togetherness and community? And that's what's important about all of this. Much bigger than Joe Bob Briggs, the last drive-in who he works with, where, what he said, what magazines he wrote on, much bigger than all of that is the churning behind the scenes moment we're facing right now where people are saying, this is me and I'm a part of this community, have been for decades upon decades. I actually made one of your favorite movies or I, you know, whatever the case, um, you're going to hear me and you're going to stop being a dick to me and how we react to that is going to be the most telling thing for all of us as members of this community moving forward. That's what's important. That's why this is important. And remember, any time a critic or a public figure becomes too big to be wrong, you're no longer a fan, you're a member of a cult. And not a good cult. Not a good cult like cult classics and like cult cinema. A bad cult like Kool-Aid. And uh, yeah, that's not where I want to be. If you think I'm wrong on that note, by all means, feel free to tell me about it. Because you know what? I don't actually know shit. I just have a microphone. This is something that is very important to me. I, I found my way to horror as a way to be an accepted misfit. And we are not, we're, I'm not going to hang out and just quietly be okay with other people being made to feel like misfits by a group of misfits. That's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's not anything I want any part of. And I hope that we all can do the right thing moving forward. And I hope that people, people who have spoken up and, and, and mentioned how, you know, how this affected them, how tough it is to, you know, kind of navigate all of this. I hope that we can kind of heal this up and all grow together because I think there's a lot more cool shit in the world of horror to be made, done, enjoyed, talked about. And that requires all of us to be here for it um i've said it a million times and i'll say it again fewer gatekeepers and more welcome wagons and i'm driving that welcome wagon so let's go so that's going to do it for this episode um for those of you who are listening and have listened i know we're only on episode three um but i haven't uh heard from you i want you to reach out if you're 
you know, following this podcast over on the uh, podcast site. There's a link to my social right up there. If not, it's at Matt Shotcha, M-A-T-T-S-H-O-T-C-H-A on Twitter. Let me know what you think of the show. Um, you know, I would like to continue to refine our format, but as of right now, it's it's off the cuff a lot, and it's kind of what's relevant at the moment in horror each week. And um, I, I like that format, but by the same note, I would really love to hear your feedback. So please do reach out. Let me know what you think of the show. Coming up next week, we have a really interesting episode. It's actually going to be a bit longer than our usual 45 minutes to an hour. Um, we're going to sit down with a, a, a guest, our first ever guest on Radio for the Creeps, and we're going to talk about Giallo and the American Slasher. Tune in next week for that episode. Um, if you haven't already heard the previous episodes, please do check them out. They're on, on Spotify, Apple, Google, everywhere, Stitcher, everywhere you could possibly find a podcast. Radio for the Creeps is there. Thank you for listening, guys. And remember, let's all work together to make sure that we've got fewer gatekeepers and more welcome wagons. Cheers, everybody. Take care, and I'll talk to you next week.